Hello and welcome to part 4 of Skyheart. You heard me right, that is part 4. So if you are just starting here, I strongly insist that you go back to part 1 because otherwise you will be jumping 3 hours into an audiobook. That is right, a full length audiobook of an actual book. So with that out of the way, spoiler alert as I am going to briefly recap the last part. Alright, you gone? Everyone already listened to the previous part? Cool. Good. So. Last week, Liam was dropped off at the orphanage, and after then leaving the orphanage, he began to wander through the city looking again for the Skyheart, as he slowly panicked and was unable to find the Skyheart. That episode ended with him finding the Skyheart. Meanwhile, John met with the Prime Minister and learned some interesting information from him, before going to go meet with an old informant of his, and finally returning to the Skyheart himself. Without further ado, Part 4 of Skyheart. John, January 16th. The 15th was uneventful. The damages that the Skyheart had sustained were worked out and repaired. The rest of the crew popped in and out, but I did not leave. I went to bed early and woke up earlier. It was 3 a.m. I didn't mind. It's always been hard for me to sleep. I went to the kitchen that was still pitch black, flipping on the lights. I opened up a cupboard and made a cup of tea, which had finally been replaced. The supplies at Kelton had been too expensive to fully restock. I sat down and took a long drink. Though I didn't particularly like the tea, the warmth was nice. The ship was cold from leaving the cargo bay door open the entire day. I heard a thoft thud. Then a few seconds later, a thunk. Then another thunk. It must be hailing. That happened a lot in Olympus. I stepped out into the cargo hold and opened the door. Nothing. No hail. As I slid it back shut, I thought I heard another sliding sound from inside the skyheart. I turned and quickly strode to the ladder and looked up. Nothing. I climbed up the ladder and looked down the hallway. Still nothing. There were only three empty rooms. No one in the Lorenzen's locker. No one in the bathroom and then I cracked the door to the only empty bedroom. No one was in there. It too was empty. Maybe I was just hearing things. Maybe I should get back to bed. Get up at a more reasonable time. Maybe when the sun actually began rising. I went back to my quarters, where I slipped back into a fitful sleep, and woke up to the sticking sound of an alarm. I stepped out into the galley. Only Robert and James were there so far. James was only slightly younger than me, the best doctor we had ever had. He had an extremely deep voice. It gave everything he said far more weight than it actually most of the time had. Good morning, Captain. To you as well, James. Robert was old by Earhart standards, which made him in his forties. But he was as good as it gets. Competent, skilled, and flawless with a sword. Although, I don't think he'd touched a blade larger than a knife in years. I really never had figured out why. Is there anything I can help you with, Captain? Not at the moment. Thank you, Robert. With one more nod, I climbed up the ladder and opened a small hatch to the right of one of the two small cannons on the second deck. Retracted it out. I rang it six times. By the six, I could hear people getting up. One ring was to the galley. Three means engine-related. Six was undocking and redocking procedures. Non-stop was emergency. I slid down to the gondola, then picked up the radio. I started beeping out the message. Skyheart, C. Stop. Depart, 12. Stop. Ten men. Stop. 
In English, it meant that the sky-hurt captain was requesting departure from Dock 12 for ten minutes from now. The answer came soon enough. Granted, Skyheart. But the message continued on. Capital will miss you. Stop. Good luck. Stop. Over. Stop. Touching, but a little much. I clicked the machine off. Gallon came sliding down with a thud into the gondola. What can I do here, Captain? Prepare the gondola for departure. He saluted and started working. I left. Reed was already in the cargo hold, ordering the final supplies on board. What would I do without him? The cargo hold was fully stocked. The only empty space left was the space to walk and the small spaces surrounding the two cannons. The final dock workers stepped off. Reed stepped to my side as the workers saluted and left. So did he come back, Captain? I looked at the dock. No, I thought he would. I believed he wanted this. However, it appears I was wrong. I paused, waiting to give Liam one last chance to come running through. Nothing. All right, time to pull out. First, the bang as the gangplank slid back onto the dock, the snap of the ropes as they were disconnected, the whoosh of the black veil hitting the dock as it fell off the sky heart. The perfect silence for just a few seconds, then the roar and fainter hiss of the celium and the engines turning alive. The ship sounded better than she ever had. A full day of people working on her had her back in fighting shape. Our patch jobs repaired, engines at full strength. We were ready. The dock that was just a few feet away was already ten, twenty, fifty feet away. Then the roar grew more intense as we started forward, beginning to bank. I watched as the buildings grew smaller. The city so alive the capital of the last nation on earth, over the bay, back over the island again, then we'd cross the channel onto the mainland, and off across the ice sheets, over the ocean, and on to northern tier. The capital shrunk, but that did not diminish its beauty. Despite all the activity, the hive of airships and boats, it was peaceful. We were still three crew members short. I had hoped Liam was going to fill that void, but it was not to be. He either couldn't find his way back, or chose not to. It was too late now, though. Maybe I would have to recruit actual air soldiers this time. I didn't like that prospect. Even though I'd helped build them and create the training that they were now being given, I hated the fact that they just trusted me. I knew the stories had exploded. I doubted a single one would serve because it was the right thing to do, but because of me instead. They respected me and had no reason to. I would always rather earn someone's respect than just have it given. But being three short was dangerous. It meant longer hours for everyone, harder work, less sleep, but we would have to make it do. There was nothing else we could do. For now, we needed to check up on the largest ground cities and make sure they were fine. Then we could continue our hunt for the six. I watched the cold, icy ground go past. Finally, I closed the bay doors and returned to the gondola. January 17th We had turned east and made it out over the main island. And now we're heading out to sea. It was smooth flying for the first day, until the deadlands were on the horizon of the sea, once the home of Avalon itself. Supposedly, it was where the darkness itself was made. A special vengeance was dealt out to it. The entire island had been bombed dozens of times. I always felt a little bubble of unease in my chest when we flew by it. All it would take is one good storm to blow us over it. There were reports of airship engines just dying by crossing over it. 
screws getting sick just by touching the ground, not to mention the thick smoke that drifted high into the air from the dozens of active volcanoes. Reed spoke just behind me. It will be fine, John. Even if we did drift over, the sky out is too hoty to go down. I know. We passed by with no incidents. I took a breath of relief as we passed far out of its radius, although you could see the smog it produced for miles after the island dropped out of sight. The rest of the day went by without anything strange happening. Partly cloudy skies, the wind blowing a southeast. January 18th. Today went by as it normally did when we were out in the sky. I get up, everyone else soon follows. Breakfast, clean up, duty, lunch, clean up, back to duty. Halfway through the afternoon, I had come up from the gondola to grab the Skyheart's log from my room. I was pulling it out of my drawer, in my desk, when there was a crashing sound from a door being slammed open, then someone crashing down the ladder, then sprinting across the room. I kicked open the door of my quarters, placing my hand on my knife hilt. What the hell do you think you're doing? I didn't recognize the figure as he fell away from the sink and onto his back looking absolutely terrified. I had not expected this. Liam? Liam. January 18th. I sat there. I tried to push off sleep, but I failed. I fell asleep in the very confined cupboard. I had no idea how long I had been asleep. It could have been a minute, or an hour, or maybe even eight. When I woke up, the adrenaline had faded, and all I was left with was my thoughts. First, I thought of what a righteous jerk I had been to Sophia, then of my father, and my mother, finally, my sister. I told myself I would not cry, but I broke and wept silently for a long time. When I finally came out, in my self-pity I realized how thirsty I was. Soon it consumed my thoughts, and it was all I could think about. I hadn't had any water in two, maybe three days. My throat burned. I tried to restrain myself. I succeeded. Then another while crept by. Then longer. And longer. Soon enough, I couldn't take it anymore. I needed water. Now. I opened up the closet door and fell out. Any attempt at being sneaky was lost. I pushed the door open way harder than I meant to. It slammed into the wall. I fell down the ladder instead of climbing. The lack of water had apparently made me weak as well. I saw the faucet and ran for it. I turned it on and started slurping down the water. I heard another door get slammed open. What the hell do you think you're doing? I tried to step backwards, but fell over instead. John towered over me, looking terrifying. His hand rested on his knife, and I knew it was about to be in my chest. My thoughts flashed back to my dream. I closed my eyes, then opened them again. His face changed into one of utter confusion. Most importantly, his hand had left his knife. Liam? I tried to speak, but my throat was far too dry. John reached out his hand and helped me up. Hey, Captain, everything okay? said a voice out of the gondola. All is good. He looked back at me. Go sit down. I'll get you some water. I sat down on one of the benches. John came back moments later with a pitcher and a cup. I drank directly out of the pitcher and drained half immediately. Have you been aboard since we left the capital? I nodded, still drinking. Why did you hide? His face was now back to its usual sternness. Kick, <coughs> kick, kick me off again. I stuttered. I see. More people came down the ladder. Liam, one of them yelled. John waved his hand and stood, addressing me and the other people now coming in. Liam has apparently been on board since we left the capital. He has chosen this life. He has chosen to live as an airman. 
is now officially, from now or until his death, a member of Skyheart. My head spun. I had done it. They cheered and started clapping me on the back. The rest of the day went by in a blur. First, John did a second, far more comprehensive tour of the Skyheart. After that, Aspen showed me how the cannons worked. It was something about air pressurization instead of gunpowder. I didn't really understand. Then some other things after that was dinner, which was a joyous affair. The entire crew seemed extremely pleased to have another hand on board. After dinner, Hugo took me up top, put me in a harness, and tied a rope around me. Then the same rope to himself, setting the rope into a hook that was laid into the Skyheart's hull. I'm going to show you the engines, he yelled over the wind, and the sound of set engines. We climbed down the side of the Skyheart, where he attempted to explain how they worked, but I only got every other word and didn't understand the parts. Back up in a far more detailed explanation, and a few more odd bits. Finally, I collapsed into bed, holding the book that had John, and simply said, Finish. Then walked away from me. I read until I slipped into sleep. January 19th. We were crossing over an old country called Ireland, also where the other two from the orphanage had been from. It was nothing but hills, trees, and green plains. It looked so peaceful, no humans to be seen, or hounds. The extreme weather and time sweeping all but the most well-built buildings off of the pristine landscape. Soon after that, it turned back into ocean. I kept track on the map. Mostly it consisted of sitting in the back of the gondola and drawing a line. John was teaching me how to understand the maps. It was really quite fascinating. As a bonus, I was better at it than cannoneering or engineering. Turns out the Skyheart is one of the few ships in the entire Airheart fleet to have a complete map collection, which meant that it had a bunch of tiny maps of every region on Earth except a few. John said that certain maps had always been harder to come by. It impressed me. The maps were always something I'd looked for when out hunting. I never found any. They had all long since decayed or been taken. Then there was the main map that I had noticed but never really paid attention to. It was one singular map that consisted of everywhere the Skyheart had ever been. And I mean everywhere. The Skyheart probably circumnavigated the entire globe several dozen times by now. It looked back down at my map once more. John, we should be close to the shore of Northern Tier. I drew another short line. Liam, you might want to look up. I listened, looking up and out of the forward glass panel. We were less than a mile from the shore of a tiny town, with airships flying over it. Boats just starting to come back in as dusk came in. Even train tracks and paved roads stretched from the town. I thought we were going to stop there, but we just flew over it, following the train tracks. The trees faded into farmland, that into an actual city. Kellen, who was at the gas valve, glanced at me. Thousands of people live there, all in that one city, and spread across the island. It was beautiful. Even though I'd just been to the capital, Northern Tier had a very rustic feel to it. Most of the buildings were made of wood, including the massive landing tower that dominated the city's skyline. I had been told that Northern Tier was a small island between the British and Irish Isles. It had never seen a single hound. Many people had fled there after the fall. Now it was a thriving island with dozens of small towns and this main city. We flew towards the docking tower. The Skyheart came in port side and docked. The tower was a massive spiral, with small one-ship docks. The Skyheart had docked second to the top pier. Ropes were traded as I put away every map except for the main one, which was bolted to the table. Just as I slid the last one into the rack, three bells rang out, which I think means come to the galley. It was the only one I had memorized so far. Just before I climbed up the ladder, I looked down at the city through the glass floor. It was truly beautiful, and since we were so high up, you could see everything. The homes in their chaotic streets, 
the sea and the railroad tracks running across the island. I climbed up. The entire crew came in, one at a time. Once they were all there, John started to speak. Due to the fact that it is already night, you will all remain on board until morning. Everyone groaned except me. I didn't think I would ever leave this guy out again. However, your leave will last as long as my inspection takes, so maybe a day or a week. They cheered when they heard that. John continued on. But you must check in at noon every day. He glanced at us all. Do you understand? Everyone nodded and mumbled. Good night. You are dismissed. I went up the ladder and into my room. With the book I read late into the night, I would finish it tomorrow. I slipped into the sleep with it on my chest. When I woke, something was wrong. Very wrong. I went to sit up. Before I could, there was a deafening boom. Then I was slammed against the top of my bunk as I got the terrible sensation that the sky art was falling. Dawn, January 20th. I was up early again, watching the sun rise over the ocean. The golden rays started hitting northern tier, and it made me feel content. As the sun rose, its beams hit the ocean, but something was wrong. About a mile offshore, dozens of barges sailed in a straight line, as well as a jet-black airship just above them. The only reason I thought was because of the angle of the sun. Two red flares shot out either side of the airship, arcing through the air. Everything was still for a moment, the flares arcing downward. Time seemed to freeze. I felt the explosion more than I heard it. My head tilted down. I saw the light rising slowly from beneath my feet, which lifted from the floor. Then time came back to me, and the skyheart started falling. I was thrown upwards into the ceiling, and the skyheart plummeted down. I grabbed onto the ladder and threw myself towards the controls. I kicked the thruster lever to full power while simultaneously taking the main gas valve. I threw it open and let go. It started spinning at crazy speeds. The engines scream. The gas compartments cracked as they went from half full to bursting in a matter of seconds. I would slam to the ground with the sudden return of gravity. I jumped to my feet and looked behind me. The entire docking tower was collapsing slowly into a pool of fire, dragging every single airship attached to it down with it. I watched the other airships try to do what I had just did. Only one succeeded. The one that had been just above us. Of the probably fifty airships, two had escaped. The fire spread outward, jumping from wooden building to wooden building. But no one came to help. All the flashing lights and figures were rushing to the coast. I looked that way as the sky heard continued to rise at alarming speeds. The barges had crashed into the shore. Thousands of hounds of every kind flooded out. Three people nearly fell down into the gondola behind me, all trying to speak, but silencing as they saw what I saw. At that moment, I knew there was no trying to save the city. Landing would be a death trap. Two cities gone. How could I have let this happen? However, I did notice something the others hadn't. The jet-black airship, hovering a mile off the shore and over the water. My gut and the evidence told me they were responsible. John Wittory, shut up. I looked behind me. It was Reed, Callan, and Hugo. Reed, ready a boarding party and take that ship. Reed nodded and threw himself back up the ladder. Hugo, hail that ship. Say nothing but SOS. If they answer us, investigate. But do not, under any circumstance, give them our height or coordinates. Understand? He nodded and hopped on the wireless. What about me, sir? I looked at Callan. On the gas valves, bring us down. I heard Hugo start talking to himself as he began tapping out for identification. 
then the hiss as Celium condensed back down into its canisters. I took the wheel and turned the skyheart towards the massive plume of smoke now rising from the docking tower. I didn't look down. I knew what I would see. I would see was a city that I helped build, a safe place for every survivor, getting overrun, thousands dying, and nothing I could do. Again. Whoever was responsible was going to have to pay with a fraction of the pain they caused. Unfortunately, that price was their lives. Liam, January 20th. I was slammed back into my bed and rolled out of it, immediately jumping to my feet and yanking on a shirt, pants, and slamming my feet into my boots. Then I slammed my door open and ran out directly into Aspen, who was in the hallway. Ouch! She leaped to the opposite wall. I jumped back. Aspen, do you know what's going on? Somebody else fell through a doorway on the other end of the hallway. What happened? I don't know, she answered. Reed came flying up the ladder. Everyone, weapons locker. Boarding equipment, then cargo bay. He strode down the hallway, almost at a run. I followed him. Inside, he opened the lower cabinet, below the swords. Inside hung about twenty short swords. Reed shoved three of them into my arms. Get these to the cargo hold. I stepped out into the hallway, into five other people. Then a bell started ringing nonstop, and all of them disappeared. The lights went from fluorescent white to red. I hurried and started climbing down the ladder, carefully. Then the bell stopped. There was only the sound of the engine. I was almost thrown from the ladder as the sky hurt banked sharply and dropped down, then back up again. My grip thankfully did not give out. Moments later, I heard the faint booms from not-so-far-off cannons. The red lights blared. Two almost simultaneous booms shook the ship. I dropped to the galley floor and rushed into the cargo hold. Aspen and Zoe stood at the right side of the cannon. She lifted another cannonball and set it into the muzzle. Aspen turned a valve, and I heard the hiss of pressurizing air. So that's what she meant by pressurized. Reed came in with a bundle of swords. He walked over and handed all of them to me. I stood. He continued over to the bay door and waited. The two waited anxiously by the cannon, peering out. I still had no idea what was going on, but here I stood, barely dressed, apparently in the middle of a battle. John. We came out of the plume of smoke. Hugo took off his headset. They're just asking for our position? What should I say? Nothing. Get to your station. Hugo climbed up the ladder. Callan, prepare for stern starboard feint. Yes, sir. I took the starboard engine down and turned the rudder, so we are flying straight. The sky hurt started listing to its back starboard as Callan decreased the amount of celium. If all went to plan, and these were enemies, they would think the sky hurt was damaged, or an easy target. They took the bait. We were flying almost directly nose to nose towards each other. They started turning to present their broadside. Callan, stand by for pop-up. I flipped the cannon's ready switch. Somewhere above me, a red light had turned on. I heard someone start ringing the bell. Now, they were waiting for the moment it would flash. I saw what it looked like half a dozen cannons come rolling out of the side of the ship. Ready, Callan? Yes, sir. Now. Callan decreased the amount of celium in the bow drastically. The Skyheart nose dived down just as their cannons fired. Nothing hit. So, they had most likely just flown over harmlessly. I slammed the wheel hard to starboard, as at the same time increasing the starboard engine to full. Callan cranked the valve back open, and we rocketed back up, turning port side to their starboard side. I flipped the fire buttons. Seconds later, our cannons fired. Both shots impacted the large ship. We flew past them. I took the wheel and spun it to port. Decreasing the port engine, we made a 360-degree turn in front of the enemy ship and were brought parallel with our starboard side. I flipped the port side firing switch again. Seconds later, two shots fired into the enemy ship, now less than 50 feet away. I brought down the engines to keep pace with the black airship. Gallon, get Robert down here, now. I took the wheel and locked it into place. 
Callan, desperately shouting for Robert. Before Robert was even down, I yelled at Callan. Callan, join the boarding party. Robert came tumbling down into the bridge. Callan scrambled up. I turned to Robert. Robert, he snapped to attention. Sir, keep her steady, and don't let that thing drag us down. Pull them into heaven itself if you have to. He nodded. The bridge is yours. I climbed up, then stepped into the cargo bay. My crew waited for me, and took one of the boarding swords, checked to make sure the sheath was reinforced like all of them should be. What are you waiting for? I stepped over to the wires that had been attached to the ceiling hooks, but the sheath, with the sword still in it, on the wire, got myself into a dead-on position and jumped into the void, going down at a steep angle on the lines that had just been tossed over to the black airship to find those who were responsible for this. Before I knew it, I was at the end of the wire. Liam. The skyheart came to an abrupt halt and almost threw me off my feet. Reed threw open the bay door and ran over to a hatch in the wall and threw it open too. Inside was metal wires. At one end was a hook. At the other end were long, wicked-looking barbs. He pulled them out and set them down on a grate. Then he reached up and flipped back a wooden panel on the ceiling. Underneath was rings set straight into the skyheart herself. He hooked the wires into them. Liam, come here. I set the swords where a cannonball had just been and stepped up to him. Take this and hang it into the something. I grabbed one of the wires. What's happening? There were three of them, all just hooked into the ceiling rings. I grabbed the wall, looking out through the doorway for the other airship. We were close to a jet black airship, less than 40 feet, and about 20 feet above it. We hurled the barbed end towards the ship. It stuck on the crow's nest. There was one last deafening boom as the Skyheart fired its cannons again. Northern Tear is being overrun with hounds. I picked up the one on the end and threw it towards the ship. I missed and slid off. Reed picked up the second line and threw it. It latched like the first. And this ship is responsible. I quickly pulled my line back in and threw it again. This time, thankfully, it stuck. Immediately after it hit, the line snapped hot as the wind buffeted the two ships apart. Zoe came over as James entered. Both grabbed a sword and readied themselves. I picked up a sword. Callan came in and also picked up a sword. Then we all hesitated, waiting for something. John stepped in. He looked different, scarily different. He had a fire in his movements that gave off nothing but anger. Yet it was calm and controlled. He grabbed a sword and flipped it over the wire. What are you waiting for? Then he jumped off the edge. The sword caught on the wire and he slid down. He rolled onto the top of the envelope and started climbing towards the crow's nest. Well, what are we waiting for? Reed yelled. Then he snapped up the sword and jumped down the wire too. Soon, everyone but myself and Callan had gone. Have you done this before? I picked up a sword and shook my head. Cool. He flipped his sword onto the wire. Flip your sword onto the wire, then jump off and land feet first. He jumped off and slid down. I watched him slide down and land on the other ship. About half of the crew had already descended into the ship. I put the sword over the wire, then took a deep breath. We are over the ocean now. Falling was death. Even if I could survive the fall, there was no way I would make it to shore. If I did make it to shore, I would be torn apart immediately. I jumped. I was weightless for just a second. Then I almost let go as all of my weight was slammed into my arms as a sword skidded down the wire. Then my feet crashed into the rungs going down the top of the airship. I almost dropped my sword as my knees buckled and my hands wildly reached out for a handhold. But thankfully, my hand managed to grip the sword and the rung. I started climbing towards the crow's nest. Hugo and Callan were still waiting to descend. I hopped the crow's nest railing. Hugo climbed downwards. Callan nodded at me, then went down himself. I stepped up to the hatch. It was a ladder that led onto stairs. I could barely see. There was only the natural light and a dim, flickering red light. What I heard, though, was the clashing of swords. Then, a brief cry that was cut off 
My heart continued racing as I too descended into the black. I stepped onto the stairs, almost slipping on the blood that covered the top landing. I looked and saw a body lying against the wall on the stairs. Two hallways went in either direction, or it was downward. I heard people fighting on either side, so I started downward. The airship looked as though it was three floors. When I reached the second floor, I saw Callan. He waved his hand at me and gestured forward into the stern hallway. I followed him. It looked deserted. He kicked open the first door on the left and jumped in. I jumped in after him, and all of a sudden, I was fighting for my life. John. I slammed into the crow's nest, feet first, as one of the men on board this ship was trying to remove the hook. I ripped off the scabbard with one hand and drove my sword into his chest with the other. He fell. I noticed his face was painted with a black hand. I kept going. The hatch into the ship swung open. A man with the same painted black hand on his face. Jonas, where'd they? He never got to finish that sentence, as my blade came sweeping down. He fell into the ship, and I heard the thud as he rolled down the stairs. I jumped into the hatch, skipping all of the ladder rungs. I landed softly on the top step. I assessed the design of the ship in seconds. Four floors, including the gondola. Each floor, excluding the gondola, had presumably two hallways, one stern and one bow, stairs going all the way down, the center. I started throwing myself down the stairs, and another man was running up the stairs. What? He didn't get any further as my sword slashed again. I kept going. I went down. Now I was on the first floor which, just like the Skyheart, was partially a galley. I slowed, scanning the stairs into the gondola. They had what I was looking for, an airtight lock. It was metal panels that were in some bigger airships that allowed the gondola to be sealed off from the rest of the ship in case of a high-altitude emergency. But it could also stop people from getting into the gondola, which is exactly what I needed. I flipped the safety latches. I heard sword fighting on the stairs above me. The lights went out, then came back on with a red emergency lighting. Four people burst into the galley. I yanked on the seal and jumped into the gondola, then, in one swift motion, locked the seal and turned to take on those in the gondola. I heard people start banging on the seal. They meant nothing now. The six people on the bridge did, however. Two on each side, two in front. Five of them were in the black jumpsuits that the other two had been wearing, but the man standing at the tiller wore a jet-black tailcoat and a freaking pirate's hat. He turned around. So did everyone else. They all hesitated for a second. The captain blinked. Kill him, he said. The other five men all drew out their long knives. I lowered my sword to my waist and flicked the blood off it. Try it. They all rushed me at once, and my short sword flashed in the rising sun once more. Liam. I raised my sword barely in time to stop the knife from burning me. I flicked it up, then down. He almost lost his grip. I pulled back and drove my short sword into his ribs, but instead of falling, he yelped in pain and doubled over. I whacked him across the head and he tumbled to his knees and cried once more. Then I realized it. I had forgotten to take off the scabbard. A second, also wearing a jumpsuit in a stocking cap, swiped at me with a knife. I blocked it and caught it on the scabbard. I yanked and it went flying out of her hands. I grabbed the scabbard and pulled it off, then drove the blade into the woman's chest. She coughed and fell. I whipped the man, still on his knees, with the flat end of my blade, and he went still. Then, I realized what I had done. I looked around. Two other jumpsuits lay on the ground. Kellen had clearly taken care of them. Then my eyes went to the woman that I had just stabbed. She was clearly alive, for now. My head spun. I stumbled to the side of the room and threw up. I felt a hand on my shoulder. It was Callan. We need to keep going. It's horrible, I know. But before you pity any of these monsters, 
Remember, they are killing thousands. Let's keep going. You can ponder your guilt later. He turned around, sword raised, and stepped back into the hallway. I straightened, took the spinning, the guilt, and every other emotion, and pushed it away, where I could no longer feel it. Then, look for my scabbard. This had been a cannon room before it was a grave. The cannon was still stuck out of the hatch, cannonballs and gunpowder, already loaded. There was my scabbard. I picked it up and shoved it into my belt loop, then followed Callan out into the hallway and to the room directly across from it. He kicked open the door, and we both jumped in. No one. But it was also another cannon room, just not facing the Skyheart. Next door. Callan kicked it open and jumped in, ducking immediately as another man in a black jumpsuit slashed at his throat. I cut the man's arm. He screamed and dropped the knife. Callan drove his sword through the man's chest, and he fell. I stepped in. It was just a cabin, big enough to hold four people. One of the bunks had been blown apart, and fragments of the Skyheart's cannonball were everywhere, scattered across the walls and floor. The man was the only one inside the room. We continued searching the rest of the stern hallway. Soon we'd cleared all of it except for two doors. A cannon blasted off. Kellen froze. Four cannons on each floor. We had only cleared two. There was one left facing the Skyheart. The bow cannon? Kellen turned and ran back down the hallway. We had been clearing. I followed him, running as fast as I could after him. Kellen jumped the stairs and reached the door, slamming into it. He started kicking it repeatedly. Nothing. He started slamming his whole body into it. They locked it. Each word was punctuated with him slamming into the door. I turned around and ran back into the first room, the cannon room. I took the hat off the woman I had killed and stuffed it full of gunpowder. Then I took the fuse rope bundle, sliced off about four feet, stuffed about three feet of that into the hat, and grabbed the rudimentary lighter lying by one of the cannons, then ran back to Callan, who was still fruitlessly kicking against the door. Another shot went off. Callan, get out of here. I lit the makeshift bomb and threw it against the door. Callan looked at it and ran, jumping into the stairwell. I followed him too. Just as I crouched down, there was a small boom. A split second later, a much too large explosion. I felt the shock wave pass over me. I heard and felt the shattering of wood, the crumbling and shaking of the entire airship, then the sucking power of the wind. Suddenly, it had become much harder to breathe, and all went black. John. Up, down, crisscross, forward, stab, duck. Five different knives flashed around me all at once. I had purposely put myself in the middle, so they were restricted by each other. In this cramped gondola, slash, four knives, duck, sweep out the legs, stab, three knives. That's all these monsters were to me. Not humans anymore. Just blades. And each blade would fall. One-handed upward block, gut punch, slash, turn, and block, two knives. One of the remaining blades tried to leap forward, but slipped on the blood and fell straight onto its back. The knife I was fighting glanced over for a split second and realized its mistake immediately. But it was too late. I flicked the knife out of its hand, stabbing forward. But it tried to catch it with its hand. It screamed in pain, but the sword kept going. The thing I no longer saw as human fell. I felt nothing. The captain looked horrified. No one can challenge us, he gasped out of his mouth. We destroyed Valley, now Northern Tier, next every single one of your cities. He drew a sword and lunged forward. I deflected, and he stumbled back. We are the Black Hand. Die, you piece of filth. He slashed again. I blocked. He kept going, wild slash after wild slash. Easy to block. He pulled back, sword still raised, breathing heavily. You can't stop us. He straightened himself, as if Perro was preparing some great speech. We have the full power of the six, you ridiculous little. I started laughing, a cold, dry 
cruel laughter. The fear you'd been trying to hide broke. He looked terrified. I looked him dead in the eyes. I killed Cerberus. He shook his head. It's not possible. It's propaganda. He lives still. Nothing can kill him. I started forward. The man who had fallen had finally gained consciousness and tried to rise. One slash, and he would never do so again. I didn't even pause. The captain blubbered. I fake cut at him. He went to blot, but my blade was already cutting into his sword hand. He dropped the sword, and crimson spilt. He stumbled back and fell on the ground. I'm coming for you and your entire organization, and after they're dead, the six are next. He went silent after the sword plunged into his chest. I couldn't see through the glass floor anymore, around the stairs and further out. Blood was rolling across the floor. Even though the bridge had been taken, I felt no satisfaction. I knew for each one of these men I'd killed, a thousand more had died on the ground. I resheathed my sword and walked over to the radio equipment. I flipped up the headset and the radio and tapped out. Perishing. Stop. SHQ. Stop. Over Q. Stop. Static for a few seconds, then beeping back. Ship taken. Q. I looked behind me at the still-sealed air hatch. Someone was still pounding on it to get it open. No. Bridge only. Stop. Ship soon follow. Stop. Cap out. Stop. SH copy. Stop. I dropped the radio equipment and walked back toward the stairs. As I did, I was thrown into the wall. As the floor moved, the entire ship shook, and there was a concussive blast as though the entire ship was being torn apart. Liam the world returned immediately. No smoke filled the air, or debris. I jumped to my feet. My ears were ringing. It felt like I had been gut-punched. I stumbled over to the door. Callan had been trying to kick open. He had been blown apart, but that hadn't been what had shook the ship. What had shook the entire ship was the barrel of gunpowder that my mini-bomb had detonated. The outside wall was completely blown apart. The ceiling had cracked, outspreading from the massive hole just above where the barrel had been. The floor was crumbling. It looked like part of the first floor wall had been ripped off as well. Whoever had been in here was no longer. I might have just killed two, three, or five people. The walls of the room were blackened. I also couldn't breathe as well. It was either the altitude or the sick feeling I had. The wind was deafening but I could hear the wind. The ringing in my ears was going down. I felt lightheaded and stumbled back to the doorway. I stepped back into the hallway and could now hear Callan yelling at me. A bum? You could have killed us. You could have gotten all of us killed. He continued ranting. I couldn't lie. I was shaken, but I was going to follow Callan's own advice and keep pushing forward. Kellen froze as I pushed past them, then hurried down the hallway after me as I went down it. First, we finished clearing the stern hallway, nothing and no one. Then, the bow hallway, that I had just so kindly blown apart. Again, no one. I went down the stairs, stopping on the top step. It had been a galley. Now, it was a bloodbath. James sat next to Reed was sitting on a table, tending a slash to his arm. Zoe was sitting on a different table, cleaning her sword. Callan started pacing around, stepping over about half a dozen bodies on the ground. Maybe more. I wouldn't count. I tried not to look at the blood, slowly dripping down the stairs into the gondola, which also looked like it was littered with bodies. I glanced over to the bow corner, where the ceiling was cracked and crumbling, with a large hole in the wall. It wasn't tiny. Yet another hallway went down the bow hallway. Is it over? I asked. Reed sighed. I think so. Unless... Never mind. 
I hopped up the stairs as Hugo came down. Nathan was just behind him. He dragged a man in a jumpsuit down the stairs. Aspen followed, sword still drawn. Hugo stepped over to Reed. Dump floor clear, sir. Hugo gestured to the man Nathan had just chucked to the floor. He was the only one who surrendered. The rest fought to the very last breath. Maybe you can tell us exactly what a dark hold is. We all turned and looked down at the bow hallway. John stood there, clutching a reef of papers in his hand. He crunched them as he stepped over to the man cowering on the floor. Let me see what I can wring out of him. The man started crying, and that's when I realized that he was probably a good two years younger than me. John dropped the papers, grabbed the child's face, and twisted it up, then drew his knife and raised it. John, wait! The knife flashed through the air. John. I fell back into the wall and jumped straight back up to my feet. Alarms on one of the consoles were blinking. I quickly stepped over to it. The starboard wall appeared to be breached. Also, the cabin pressure light was blinking. However, the ship did not seem like it was suddenly going to be dropping out of the sky. Every other system seemed to be fine. The cabin pressure didn't worry me. Yet. I looked at the gondola air pressure. Normal. I looked at the dial for the other three floors. Far below what it should be at this height. Then I realized it. Over to the central control station next. The altitude was rising fast. It was the oldest trick in the boarding book. Air seal off the gondola. Two or three other rooms for the rest of the crew. Then choke out your enemy with a lack of oxygen at the higher altitudes. I walked over to the celium controls. Broken. The captain had done something smarter than I had given him credit for. I guess the moment he saw his men falling, he knew that it was over. So maybe he could just take the rest of us with him. Even if he lost everyone on board. This would be a simple fix if I had time, tools, and a second person. But I only had myself, no tools, and not nearly enough time. So my new plan was to take the ship, strip it for information, then blow it out of the sky. I walked back to where they also had a map on a table. Only their map of the world was blank and incomplete. No course markings or tracking of where they had been. Damn. Giving up on the gondola, I went to the stairs and the airtight hatch. I unhooked the lock and pulled it. It didn't open. Then I remembered it. The air pressure difference. I took a deep breath. That was going to be my last one for a little bit. I picked up one of the knives off the ground, grabbed onto the stairs, dug my feet in, flipped the knife so I was holding it by the blade, and threw it. It spun through the air, and with perfect precision, the tip of the knife hit the glass panel on the opposite wall. It shattered. The air rushed out. I felt myself getting pulled off the stairs, but as soon as it had come, it had stopped. I took a brief breath, and it felt wrong. The pressure dropped. Grabbing the airtight hatch, I slid it open. The noise hit me almost at the same time a man fell into the hole. The sound of clashing swords, the heavy breathing of people deep in battle, but mostly the crack of the man falling down the stairs. I jumped back and almost fell in the blood. The man was wearing a jet black jumpsuit, which meant that he was one of them. He tried to get up and slipped in the grime. Slash. With that, he fell back. I jumped over the ever-growing pool of blood and onto the first step. I went up two more and peeked my head over the lip, making sure there were no more unexpected surprises. No one else looked like they were about to fall. However, the galley I'd rushed through moments ago was a proper battlefield now. Reed fought two men at once, Zoe was locked with the third man, and finally James was dancing around with the fourth. I hopped up so that I was still crouching. 
There were already five bodies on the ground. None of them us. James passed by. The man he was fighting was too intent on James to see the sword slash up into his knees. He toppled, and James finished him. We both helped Reed take his two, and in a matter of seconds, both were down. The final was the opposite of a fair fight. The moment the last jumpsuit dropped, Reed collapsed, clutching his arm. Myself and James both dropped to his side. James slinging off his medical bag that he brought with him on every action. Reed was breathing heavily. Reed, you need to let me take a look at your arm. Blood came pouring as he lifted away his hand. James' shoulders slumped a little bit as he started pulling at his medical supplies. It'll be okay. Looks worse than it is. I stood back up as James started treating Reed's arm. I need to go see what I could find out. So check the gondola for anything else useful. I stepped out towards the stern, then paused. One last thing. We need to clear out quickly, or we all die. They looked at me, a little surprised, but I kept going. I checked the stern first. It was a kitchen area, followed immediately by storage. In the storage area, there was a patch over a hole in the wall. I almost felt bad for the ship and what it had been made to do. I searched the rest of the stern. Absolutely nothing. I turned and added bowward. James and Reed had moved onto a table. Zoe was coming up from the gondola. I just headed straight through. Immediately through the doorway on the bow end, those two thick-looking metal doors on either side. I tried one. It looked as though they had the ability to be locked, but neither were. It was filled with kegs of gunpowder. No wonder this room had been reinforced with inch-thick steel. Wise, but still an awful idea to keep gunpowder on an airship. However, it did give me an idea that I just might do. The rest of the rooms were miscellaneous storage rooms, until I reached the end of the hallway, and what could only be the psyllium bags beyond. Instead, there was a door labeled Captain's Quarters. I opened the door. It was unlocked. Beyond was a very short, skinny hallway. I had to duck my head, but I kept going. At the end was a second door. It was locked. I kicked it once, and the lock shattered. I stepped in the room. It was small. Every wall curved except for the back one. The back one and the ceiling were the only ones not made of glass. I only spared a glance for the view. It is only of the ocean. And far off in the distance, you could see the shore of what had been the United Kingdom. I started searching the room. It was small and bare bones. A bed, a desk, was about it. I started the bed, knowing that the desk would probably be more interesting. I tore apart the bed. The only thing that was of the remote interest was a letter saying things like, Make it home safe. Another one saying, I hope your mission succeeds. I read through them both. They were love letters. Nothing of use inside them. I wondered... Did the author of these letters know what the mission was? Over the desk. The first drawer held nothing but pens, pencils, and other junk. Next drawer had papers. I flipped through them. They all seemed like order forms. Not important now, but maybe later. I've shoved them into my pocket. The bottom drawer held some bottles. I lifted them up to see what there was in them and if there was anything underneath. There wasn't. I moved to the bottom drawer, on the other side. Only oils and cloths for sword upkeep. One drawer up, this one was empty. Finally the last drawer. I opened it. Inside was a single piece of parchment, neatly folded. On the front, it lettered, Official Order Form, from the Darkhold to Captain and Crew of the Airship Shadow. This is exactly what I'd been looking for. I flipped the form open. The message was fairly simple. 
eyes only for Shadow Captain. Exit the mouth of the valley with the full complement of airships. Head due east into the lake. Turn south and find the southern tip of the lake. After reaching the tip, head 145 degrees south until you reach the docks of Genoa. Waiting there should be the teams. Barges, as well as one of our six sworn saviors. And his horde. Move the teams onto your airships and send them back to the Darkhold. Clear the docks of Genoa of the entire horde. Escort all barges to Northern Tier. Hold off approach of the barges until a foggy night, as so patrols do not spot your approach. Land as the sun rises for maximum surprise. After the mission is carried out, abandon the barges and slip back into the breaking day as so no Earhart ships pursue you. I looked at the form, and saw that it had instructions on the second page. If your ship is ever aborted or captured, destroy it. Make sure no one on board, including you or your crew, survives. Otherwise, those you have in the sanctuary will no longer find sanctuary there. Signed, Maxwell Illing, Commander of the Darkhold and Surrounding Lands. I grumpled the paper in my hand and walked out the door. Down the hallways, past the doors, past the gunpowder storage, and back into the galley. I hesitated as I listened to Hugo say, Every other man fought the last breath, except for him. I stepped forward, seeing a small boy in a black jumpsuit. Maybe he can tell us exactly what the Darkhold is. I stepped over to the boy, cowering on the floor. He looked up at me. God, he was just a child. What monsters were these? No one else I had seen on this ship had been so young. No wonder he had surrendered. Somehow I knew he hadn't chosen to be here. He was doing what so many did, doing his best to survive. Circumstance, however, was no excuse to participate in a genocide. But I couldn't let that show. Kindness would not get me the information soon, but fear would get what I needed now. Let me see what I can wring out of him. He started weeping uncontrollably as Hugo and Nathan yanked him to his knees. I crouched down and looked at him. He looked down. I stuffed the papers into one of my pockets and, in one motion, drew my knife with another. Then I grabbed his face and yanked it upwards, so he looked me dead in the eyes and clearly saw the knife. He would have screamed if he could get his mouth open. I raised it. John, wait. And I threw it. The knife buried itself into the wood, in the four-inch gap between his knees. I didn't let go. You're going to tell me everything I want to know. Or that knife is going into your neck next time. Understand? He tried to nod. Good. Let's begin. I yanked the knife out of the floor and put it back into its sheath. I looked over to Callan, Zoe, and Aspen. Aspen, Zoe, Callan, get the Skyheart close enough to make sure that we can reboard. James, make sure that Reed doesn't use that arm. Reed, don't use that arm. That's an order. Liam, with me. Hugo, Nathan, bring our new friend with us. We all made our way into the cargo hold of this ship. Liam hurried to catch up with us. He opened his mouth to say something, then closed it. We walked into the cargo hold. Liam spoke up. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't respond as I lifted open the cargo door. I thought I understood. He thought I was going to kill the boy. I saw the city beneath us, burning. We were high now. My pity for the boy faded. Even if he had no control over this, he was still partially responsible. Less than I was, most likely. This was my fault. I straightened and looked at Hugo and Nathan. Dump him.
They tossed the boy to the ground. Now then, go back to those metal vaults, take the gunpowder, and dump it. Put it just about everywhere. But remember, the moment you hear me, call. Come. They saluted and left. Then I glanced around and found what I had been looking for almost immediately. He was going to pay for his crime in the most wretched way I could think, trying to undo his wrongs. Hello, I would like to thank you very much for making it this far, and all the way to part four, four hours through, it's just really incredible. Thank you so much for sticking with me through all of this time. You are truly an incredible person. So, yeah, thank you. And part five will be out next week. And as always, good night, good luck, and don't get lost. <laughs>